0: The last few weeks we've been doing a study, a series on prayer, and we've been looking not necessarily how to pray, but we've been looking at Why we pray the things we pray. And we've been using as our guide the model prayer that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, which we sang together this morning, the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at different sections of the Lord's Prayer to find out biblically why do we pray? Why has Jesus asked us to pray these things? We looked at the idea of praying for the kingdom of God to come for God's will to be done as we looked at the idea of prayer and hope. Last week, we looked at the line in the Lord's Prayer that we would pray for our debts or our trespasses to be forgiven as we looked at prayer and forgiveness. And this week, I want us to look at the line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What exactly is Jesus asking us to pray for And to do that, I want us to look at Psalm 73. And it's in Psalm 73, as you're turning there, we'll look at verses 1 through 3 and then verses 13 through 26. This was not a psalm written by King David, as so many of the psalms are, but was actually written by a worship leader a ministry leader in the temple of God, a worship leader or a ministry leader that sole job and purpose was to lead others in the worship of God. But even someone who had been dedicated his whole life to leading the people of God in worship, even he was going through a time of great discouragement, of great despair. Even he was going through a battle in which he needed to be delivered from. Let's look together at Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 13. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean. I have washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You made them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and Ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in the heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever and the grass withers and the flower surely fades but the word of our lord it stands forever amen have you ever needed to be rescued have you ever needed to be delivered from something have you ever found yourself in life you might even find yourself right now in the midst of a battle and you don't know how to be rescued how to be saved to get out. Well, when Jesus asked the disciples to pray this prayer to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil, what Jesus is describing is a epic battle. He's describing a internal battle. That is the temptation that lies within. But he's also describing an external battle, the evil that is outside of us. And it is the temptation inside of us, it is the evil outside of us that we find ourselves often in a battle. And Jesus says, pray this way. Pray that when your heart is tempted internally and when the evil forces out surround you and are tempting you to despair and seeking to deliver you, to pray the prayer, lead me not into this temptation, but deliver me from evil what exactly is Jesus wanting us to be delivered from in this battle and what can we learn from the psalmist here in Psalm 73 The first thing that we see in Psalm 73, we clearly could hear in the way that he wrote this psalm that he is conflicted, uses language about being in turmoil. He talks about his feet nearly slipping. He talks about being like a beast towards God, that his heart is being pricked. Well, The first thing that we need to see here in Psalm 73 in the battles of life, that the greatest battle, the first point I want to bring to your attention this morning, is that the biggest battle that you and I face is always internal. It's always internal. Yes, there are battles that we face externally. There are temptations that we face externally. There are diseases and suffering and illness and strife and moments where we are not reconciled with our loved ones and with our friends. And everything surrounding us seems like a battle. But what the psalmist identifies here in Psalm 73 is that ultimately the greatest battle of your life is internally what does he say? What does the psalmist say in Psalm 73? He first identifies in verse one, truly God, you're good to Israel, to those that are pure in heart. He identifies, God, this is how you move. This is how you work. You're good to those that are pure. You're good to those that are pure in heart. Verse three, but what happens? The psalmist says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then in verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What is the psalmist describing here? Very simple. And it's something that we do all the time, whether we realize it or not. The psalmist is saying, God, your promise is that you'll be good to those that are pure. The psalmist is saying, I've been pure. I've been innocent. But when I look around, the wicked are prospering. What is the psalmist saying? I keep doing the right thing, saying the right thing. I'm obedient to you and my life is sinking. When I look at those around me, though, and their lives are a ruin, they are living for themselves, they are wicked, and you continue to prosper them. And it's the battle that the psalmist is identifying, that he's having a battle within himself, inside himself. And what does he say in verse 2 of Psalm 73 as he identifies this battle raging in his heart and his soul, envious, these people aren't living right, they're not following your commands, they're not obedient, and you continue to bless them. I, on the other hand doing the right thing, living for you, living out of obedience to you, and my life continues to suffer. My life continues to be a battle. And what does the psalmist say in verse 2? He says, For me, my feet almost stumbled my steps nearly slipped. The idea of stumbling and your feet slipping was an ancient metaphor for destruction. Think about it. You ever think about being on the edge of a cliff? You don't want your feet to slip. You don't want your feet to stumble. So an ancient metaphor for this idea of destruction and despair was this idea of stumbling, this idea of slipping. And what the psalmist is saying, in light of I'm doing all the right things, but you seem to continue to not bless me, my life continues to be a life of suffering my life continues to be a life of battling it's as if i just went off the deep end what the psalmist is saying is something very raw and something very profound what he's saying is i nearly walked away i nearly got to the place in my life where i said it might not be worth it to follow you The psalmist is being very honest with us here in this passage that life has been too hard, that life has been such a torment, that life has been such a battle. When I see the wicked prosper and I see the innocent suffer, it might just be enough for me to walk away. My feet nearly slipped. You see, what the psalmist is saying here is the greatest temptation that he faced, that the greatest temptation that you and I face is that in the midst of struggle, in the midst of the battles of life, that you will be tempted to move on. That the greatest temptation in life doesn't necessarily exist outside of ourselves. It actually exists in our hearts and our, our minds where we are tempted to think maybe following Jesus just isn't worth it. And that is the greatest evil that you and I Can face. So the first thing that we see here in Psalm 73 is that the biggest battles of life are always internal, not external. But something happens to the psalmist as he begins to move through this psalm and he admits that the, he is having a raging struggle within him to rest on the promises of God, to lean on the, in the arms of God, what happens? The second thing that we see here is that the psalmist begins to see the big picture. He begins to see the forest above the trees. What happens in verse 16? He says this, but when I thought how? to understand this. It seemed like a wearisome task. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? When I begin to think about why God would allow this to happen in my life, it seems too overwhelming. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would God allow this suffering? Why would God allow this brokenness? Why would God allow this battle? And the psalmist is opening up and he's saying, when I started to think about and to start to comprehend it, it seemed all too overwhelming. But something happened. Until verse 17, look at your Bibles. Verse 17, until what? I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end truly in verse 18 you set them in slippery places you've made them fall into ruin it is not until he experiences the fellowship of God you see the psalmist although he was tempted to walk away from God he moves in closer and he walks into the sanctuary of God and it is the fellowship with God that he begins to see the whole picture he says their life might be blessed for a little while But I now see and understand where the wicked, what will happen to the wicked. I now see the plans that you have for me. I now understand that a life lived for yourself, a life walking away from God and rejecting God is actually no life at all. Because they're the ones that will actually stumble. They're the ones that will actually find themselves in a place where their feet will slip, where their feet will stumble I see them slipping away those that thought their hope and their comfort could be found in power and in beauty and in wealth and status one day one day I will see them stumble we will see them stumble and so instead what happens to the psalmist as he's reunited and reconnected with God he begins to see not what's right in front of him but he begins to see the whole picture and he says I shouldn't be envious of the wicked. I should actually have pity on them because I know what will happen. And what does it say? It says... In verse 20, like a dream when one awakes, what happens when one encounters God and understands the big picture of life? It's as if you awaken, awake from this awful dream and see what the world is trying to sell you and is trying to sell me is a dream couched in a reality. They're trying to make it seem and trying to sell you that a life lived for yourself, that a life based on power and beauty and success and status, that this is real life, that this is real living. But what the psalmist says, when you encounter God and you see the big picture, as as if you wake up from that dream and begin to see that that is no reality at all, That it is a dream the wicked are living. It is a dream the world is living. But to be awakened is to understand that life, that deliverance from the battles of life only comes from relationship and fellowship with God. And so when we're tempted to run from God, tempted to push Him away, we only will get out of the fog. We will only see clarity in the confusion of life When we run to God in prayer, when we run to God in worship, when we run to God in fellowship, only these things can help bring clarity in the midst of the fog, in the midst of the battle. But then lastly, not only does the psalmist recognize that the greatest battle that he faces is internal, And not only does the psalmist recognize that it's not running away from God, but running towards God, in which he seeks clarity and the big picture of why this is happening, but he eventually, through this all, through this process and through this journey, experiences God's amazing grace. It's finally in verse 21 through 24 where the psalmist says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked at the heart, when I was brutish and ignorant and I was a beast. He's saying, when I was at my worst, God, and I was shaking my fist at you for putting me through this, it was in that moment when I deserved your worst, it was in that moment that I'd received your best. Verse 23, through it all, nevertheless, I am continually with you, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. You see, it was going into the sanctuary of God. It was going into the temple. It was being reconciled and reunited in fellowship with God, not running away to God, but running towards God, that he not only sees the big picture, but he is reminded that while I was yet a sinner, while I was at my worst, while I was ready to turn my back on you, you never once thought about turning your back on me. And he is the recipient of God's. Amazing grace, and he wakes up to the reality of his counsel and his right hand. He's reminded of his amazing love. What do you think it was? What was it that the psalmist saw while he was standing in the sanctuary of God in the temple? Was it a vision? Was it, a, was it a sign that he received? What was it that he said, God, you will not leave me nor forsake me? What was in the center of the temple that overwhelmed him of God's grace? There was an altar he could not have missed the altar. And that was no ordinary altar. See, the psalmist in his despair, the psalmist in his battle, saw an altar caked with blood. And it was in that moment, in the sanctuary of God, that the psalmist looks out and he sees an altar caked with blood and he is reminded that, God, my blood will not be shed. For the battles that I face, that my blood will not be poured out for the struggles and the sufferings of this life, but that you will send one that will shed his blood on my behalf forever. You see, it was in the sanctuary of God. It was in the altar of God, a caked altar of blood that he saw the grace and the amazing love of God. In spite of how I've been, God still covers me. In spite of what I've said, in spite of me wanting to run away, God still covers and loves me. But what does this mean for us this morning? There's no temple. There's no altar caked with blood. What does Jesus say? jesus in the gospels as he's throwing out the money changers in the temple the pharisees come to him and then what do they say what gives you the authority to be in this temple and jesus looks at them and he sells the pharisees tear this down tear this temple down and i will rebuild it in three days what was jesus referring to he was referring to himself Jesus was referring to himself being the new temple. And so although today we don't have a temple to go to and we don't have an altar that we see covered in the blood of the lamb, we have something so much better. We have Jesus Christ who says, I am the new temple, that I am the bloody sacrifice, that I am the only mediator between God and man and I am the one that you go through. You see, it is at the cross where Jesus sets his eyes on the greatest battle of life and it's the battle that was deserved for you and for me the battle of sin and the battle of death and Jesus stays on the cross and he fights the battle on our behalf and so the good news for you this morning for those that are found in Jesus Christ is that you have a mediator, that you have a victorious warrior, that regardless of what battle you find yourself in life right now, regardless of how overwhelming that battle might seem, you have a man by the name of Jesus Christ that has been victorious over that battle. And so when you are tempted to despair, when you are tempted to say, I wonder if God cares, Why, if God loves me and cares for me, why would he let me go through this battle? And I have one message for you this morning. When you're tempted to wonder, does God care? Look to the cross. Because it is at the cross where God shouts to you, do I care? I sent my son to lay down his life so that you might live it is the epitome of care it is the epitome of concern do I care that you're suffering in the battles of life absolutely Jesus wasn't delivered from that cross and from his greatest battle so that you would be Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken by God in the battle look to the cross who fights for you who fights for me? Who fights for us? Jesus. Jesus fights for us in the battles of life. Let me close with this. There's a young man by the name of Tony. Tony was a Christian, and he had battled his entire life with addiction, in and out of recovery homes, in and out of recovery and addiction rehab. And Tony bounced from around from counselor to counselor. And eventually the counselors would go, grow so frustrated with Tony, they would refuse to meet with him anymore. The counselors would come up with a plan. They would come up with a prescription for his life and for his rehabilitation. And he would ignore it. He would walk away from it. So the counselor said, well, I'm going to walk away from you. But finally, he was meeting with one counselor. This was maybe 10 or 11 or 12 counselors on the list that Tony began meeting with. And Tony, once again, broke the plan and didn't stick to the script. And Tony, with his face in his hands, says to the counselor, you must be so frustrated with me. And the counselor looks at him and he says, you're right. I am frustrated with you. But I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And with that, Tony fell to his knees and began to weep uncontrollably. Tony says, that was the day that was the beginning of my new life. A year later, after a year of being sober and a life uh, and a year of being clean, t- the counselor asked Tony, What was it after years of struggle, after years of being embattled, what was it that turned your life around? And Tony looked at the counselor and said, You're the first person that said you would not leave me. You're the first person that said you would stay. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the good news for you this morning is that in Jesus Christ, you not only have a Savior that stayed, you have a Savior that laid down his life so that you might live forever. Do you know that, Jesus? Do you know this one this morning? that regardless of what you're facing in your life right now, regardless of what you might be facing one day, we don't have a hope so. We don't have a subjective reality. We have an objective truth that 2,000 years ago at Calvary, the ultimate battle was fought and won for you. And the good news this morning is all those that are found in Jesus Christ share in that victory. Have you been delivered from death to life? Have you been rescued? The Bible says something about being saved and rescued. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you today believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. Do you have that hope this morning that you can say, The battles might come, but my feet won't slip? God's love is the only love that you will never lose through the battles of life that allow us to pray this prayer with confidence. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil.